Hello and welcome. My name is Brent Weaver and this is the Digital Agency Show. The podcast that goes behind the scenes with today's top agencies and entrepreneurs. I am really glad you're here. And once again, it's time to transform your business mindset. What is up, podcast listeners, digital agency owners? Brent Weaver here from the Digital Agency Show. Really glad you're here. Today on the show, we've got Jonathan Stark, who is probably one of the most foremost mobile experts in our field. He's worked with companies like CVS, Staples, Time, T-Mobile, working on their mobile strategy, tactics, training. He's written three books on mobile and web development uh, through O'Reilly Publishing. He also has a recent uh, essay and book called Hourly Billing is Nuts, which is what we're going to spend some good time talking about today. Jonathan, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. So can you take a, a moment just to tell us uh, about your business today and kind of uh, <laughs> who you are? I mean, I know I just introed you, but kind of in, <laughs> in your own words, like what's what's your superpower? Sure. Uh, my name is Jonathan Stark. I live in lovely Providence, Rhode Island, which is in the northeastern portion of the U.S. And for the last little bit over a decade, my main business has been doing mobile strategy work for all sorts of businesses, although these days I'm focused down on credit unions specifically. Uh, So I started out doing mostly web design in 2006, uh, sort of database-backed web applications. And then the iPhone came out and I specialized in mobile web, wrote a couple of books for O'Reilly, got some big clients out of that, did a lot of speaking engagements, got even more big clients out of that. And over the past couple of years have moved into really much more of the diagnostic and prescriptive aspects of consulting, you know, more sort of giving people advice, maybe a little bit of training versus actual coding. I don't really code for money anymore. Hmm. That's an but interesting I'm a, a statement. Solo, <laughs> yeah. I'm a, I'm a solo agent, agency, whatever you want to call it, solopreneur. You said you do mobile for credit unions. That just seems like such a nice specialization focus. So that just happens to be kind of where you're focused right now, or how does one evolve to the point of just doing mobile web for credit unions? That just seems like a very specific space to get into. Yeah, it's really, it's really a holistic mobile strategy for credit unions. And the, the, you know, my experience is in, I've been doing mobile since the very beginning of the iPhone. So about, I guess it's about 10 years now. And you know, I can apply those skills to really most verticals for a long time. I just sort of generally said, I, I help people like consumer brands thrive in the post PC era. It was very soggy and vague. I had a couple of kids in the last, in that time frame, So I don't do as much travel. I don't do as many speaking engagements. I haven't written another book. So, you know, you get fewer leads when you're not out in the public eye like that. So my antidote to that was to focus down on a particular vertical and it, it's much easier to kind of get a flywheel going around a particular um, vertical market because you start to learn their language, you start to learn the nuances of their concerns and uh, there's a lot of word of mouth that goes on. Probably some of your listeners might, it might have occurred to them already us talking that they know someone who works at a credit union that maybe they should introduce me to. So that sort of thing 
happens much more automatically when you pick a vertical market. And that was one that I had done some work with in the past. You know, they were just one of many types of businesses that I had worked with. And I picked that one because it's a really interesting one to me because of the position that that type of an organization is in now between, you know, fintech on one end and global banks like Chase and, and Bank of America at the, at the other end. They're kind of getting squeezed out of the middle. And I, I just found them really interesting. I, I generally like the kinds of people who are attracted to a nonprofit financial institution. <laughs> it's kind of an oxymoron, which I like. So uh, it's been fun. And it, it's it's gotten me back to a place where I'm automatically getting referrals without really having to beat the bushes too much. Yeah, I imagine there's not a whole lot of people whose value proposition is is helping credit unions with the mobile web. And that is so specific. And we spend a lot of time in our, our program helping people with their niche or specialization. And I just hope everybody that's reading this can see that that's actually, I mean, it seems like that's been a big opportunity for you, which is really cool that you've made that focus. And now you've gotten, you, you get plenty of business just through that very, very small focus, which is probably a very big market in, in all reality. Actually, it's probably a massive oh, market. It's huge. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the top credit unions have billions under management. And uh, I mean, there's just hundreds and hundreds. I, I don't even know how many credit unions there are because there are way more than way more than I could even begin to service. So I, I won't say who my credit union is, but I was literally just before this, this call just happened to be checking something on my credit union's website from my phone and mm-hmm. uh, less than optimal experience. So I can just tell you <laughs> yeah. that there's there's plenty of gas left in that tank, Jonathan. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's a common common response when I, when I, and that's the exact kind of, I call it a Rolodex moment. You know, people, when you do focus down on a vertical, something that's outwardly recognizable to the average person, it makes it really easy for them to make introductions and, and you know, sort of lead the way for you. Now I, I know you've 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 written. Uh, you mentioned you wrote a couple books for O'Reilly, and 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 recently you've written this book uh, or ebook, or I'm not sure exactly how you're packaging it. But hourly billing is nuts. Um, why why is hourly billing nuts? There are a bunch of reasons that we could go into. Uh, just quickly, uh, the first one is that it misaligns the direct financial incentives between the client and you. So the longer it takes, the more you make. And the longer it, and the more it costs the client. Uh, so that's not good because if you blow an estimate and things are taking longer than they were supposed to, everyone knows the client starts to get very angry. And and honestly, I think they should. Uh, so there's that. Another thing is that when you are working on a, when, when you're sort of approached to work on a project, you know they call you up. Hey, we understand you're good at this thing. We we need you to do these things that apparently fall under your skill set. Uh, what's your hourly rate? When can you start? And you quote them a rate. You know, you say, oh, whatever, 100 bucks an hour, 200 bucks an hour. It's totally meaningless because they have no idea how many hours it's going to take you or what the <laughs> outcome might be. But the client but kind of feels good. Like they just have, they, they now know what you cost per hour, which maybe they can relate with, I guess. I don't know. I mean, they're the ones mm-hmm. asking for it. Right. I mean, my answer to that question is I don't have one. And their immediate response is, oh, well, how do you bill for your work? And I say, I'll give you a price for the project, and then you'll know how much money you need to invest to get it done. With an hourly estimate, you wouldn't. So you'd have to make this huge purchasing decision without really knowing what the price was. 
and they, and I've never had anybody say, Oh, that, well, that's not true. I've had a couple of, of government agencies and, and prominent higher educational institutions say, well, you know, well, we need to have an hourly rate in order to go through the procurement process. And I say, okay, thanks. Bye. <laughs> so you don't even, you don't even bend in, in that way because no, you just, it's, you're no, already it's a recipe going... for disaster. It's mm-hmm. a recipe for disaster because, uh, you, it allows you to get started. You know, you talk to the buyer, they agree to your rate, you give them an estimate, they go, okay, go. Here are the things we want you to do. If you haven't had a conversation about what the desired business outcomes of the work are, the odds of you achieving those outcomes are pretty close to zero. It would basically be an accident if you moved the needle that needed to be moved by just going on a punch list of things that they wanted you to do for them. So at the end of the at the, at the end of the work, once they have finally found out how much it costs to hire you to do this, you know, retroactively, they, they, odds are pretty high that they're not going to be super happy with the outcome. They might not blame you for doing it because you did exactly what they told you to do. But if it hasn't delivered a positive ROI to them, it's highly unlikely that they're going to turn around and write you another check. It, you know, it's, it's, it might be their problem that they told you to do the wrong thing, but those aren't the kinds of relationships I like to get into because those end up being short-term relationships. I'd rather push back and say, you know, well, exactly why do you want this project done? Why not not do it? Why do it in this way? Why do it right now? Couldn't you study the, the situation? Are you really sure you need to do this right now? Why hire someone expensive like me to do it? Why not do it internally? So I, I go through all of that sort of a, a conversation with people and when, when people make it through those filters, we're at the end of the conversation, we're both convinced that we should work together. And then it's just a question of me giving them a price for the, the desired outcome. Talk to me a little bit about that price for the desired outcome. I, I assume that this methodology is much more of a value-based approach of pricing your work based on the value that you're delivering. Is your price 100% driven off of that what methodology do you use to come up with that number? Because, I, I mean, fixed price projects, the bigger they get, the more risk potentially um, gets packed into this singular number that you're held accountable to, which is a good thing for the client, I think. Uh, most oh, yeah, of the time. it's great. They love it. <laughs> um, they unless, love it. unless you're, yeah, I mean, unless you crush the business. or I mean, I think that it comes back to kind of probably some experience. But I guess, you know, Jonathan, how do you, how do you come up with that number? Well, it's, it's hazy, you know, it's more art than science, I would say, but in that conversation as, you know, we're working through, okay, we should work together. This is going to be a good fit. I'll move on and say, okay, you know, what, how are we going to know when we're done? Like, what would a home run look like? What, you know, if, if the, I don't know if the outcome is, is say we want to, you know, through the course of the phone call, it might've started off with like, Hey, we need you to make the form fields on our mobile website, three pixels bigger. Okay, that's an interesting request. Why do you want that? Well, because people are having a hard time, you know, fo- getting the field focusing at the keyboard to come up. Okay, well, why does that matter? Oh, well, because our, our conversion rate on mobile is atrocious. Oh, really? Okay, now we're on to something. So we start talking about the conversion rate on mobile, or you know, it could be something more intangible, like our internal systems are so horrible that uh, our engineers, our engineering team keeps quitting. We have like massive employee churn in the engineering team because our project management system is such a nightmare to work with that people would rather quit their job and go somewhere else. But there's some business outcome 
at the end of that phone call. If there isn't one, then I'm not going to quote the work. You know, I need to come to something that is that I recognize as, wow, that is a big problem. That is a big risk. That is a huge opportunity that you need to capture because the, the, the opportunity won't last forever. So I have a sense of what, what will satisfy them because that's what I want to do. I want to deliver 100% customer satisfaction. So I'll just ask them, how can I knock this out of the park? What does that look like? And they'll tell you. <laughs> they'll, they'll kind of sit back and laugh and be like, oh, well, man, if you could do this, it would you know, make my year. <laughs> Which, of course, they probably, if you didn't ask that question, would never have disclosed that thing that's maybe really motivating them or getting right. them excited about making the investment. And that could be the key to getting probably way more potential money or, or, or project fees from, from the work that you're doing with them. Potentially. I mean, they could, they could answer something that's not that valuable to them, in which case I would have to set my price you always have to set your price below and in fact, significant, significantly below what might be the rough value to them. So if it's, you know, if they're like, well, you know, my cousin said our site was kind of ugly and I don't know, he's got a degree and I don't know, he seemed like, you know, if there's no strong business outcome or it's, it's ill-defined, then I can't, I have nothing to base a quote on. But if it's strongly defined, then it, I do have something to base it on. It's like I said, it's hazy, but I can tell on an order of magnitude, is this a million dollar, is this potentially a million dollar project for the company? Is it, you know, annually? Yeah. Is this thing a big deal or not a big deal? Is the risk very high? Is the timeline, you know, is the, is the timeline tight? Is there some risk? Is this for the next Olympics? It has to be done, but you know, there's, there, there needs to be a high level of risk and a lot of, um, not, I guess it's kind of like money on the table. So usually, usually it's going to be bigger clients that have these higher value projects, but not always. So it kind of cuts both ways. If it's a small client, it's a mom and pop pizza place. They come in and say, well, we want you to do our mobile site for us. Or we want you to advise us about how to do our mobile site. I'll be like, well, what, what really is going to come out of that? What do, what do you hope to gain? More pizza sales, more walk-in traffic? No, we've got plenty of walk-in traffic. What do you want to sell online or something? Well, that would be okay. But if we sold, you know, if we increased our sales by 20%, we'd probably have to open a second location, which we don't want to do. And I'm like, I don't, I don't really, there's no value here. For <laughs> us. They have, they have a hunch or somebody told them they should have a better mobile website or aunt Sally yeah. was like not able exactly. to pull up her, the website on her phone or something. Mm -hmm. They're embarrassed by it for some reason. Uh, but if it's not just a case of embarrassment, if there's really a strategic objective and we can, define what success looks like, which is usually not that hard. Uh, when someone does have a business goal, it's easier for them to define what it looks like. And then I'll just ask, all right, you know, while we're doing the project, how can we measure that we're going in the right direction? How can we measure our progress toward achieving this outcome? And I, I never know what the answer to that question is, but they always do because it's the thing they've been measuring to know that they have a problem in the first place. So they'll say something like it's, you know, conversion rate or mobile traffic or bounce rate or, uh, or just the number of customer service phone calls or the number of engineers that are quitting over the horrible project, you know, over JIRA or whatever. Um, they'll have something that they know how to measure. It's be like, great. All right. So during the course of the project, we will measure that thing and we will act accordingly and we will always be moving toward the goal. And once we get the goal and everybody's happy, then we can call it a, call it a done deal. How much time are you spending in this process 
at least when I've gone this approach with clients, I, I always find that they don't know a lot of the things that you would like them to know around the value of a project or the impact that something might have on their business. Or maybe they think they say like, oh, we'd like to get more leads through our website, but they, they really haven't gone through and quantified what that means. Even probably in some cases haven't even really gotten a baseline of what they've been getting. Uh, are you spending a lot of time with them in your sales process and in, in this, this conversation, this discovery, kind of coaching them along a, a process of just trying to get to that truth, trying to get to that understanding of what what the, the purpose of this idea is? Or are you maybe working with some businesses or organizations that are are, are maybe further ahead or they've already done some of that work before they've, they've gotten to your, your doorstep? Mm, I think probably more of the latter. Usually people are already, it's kind of an emergency by the time they decide to go outside and look around for an expert at this thing. That's a good thing for you. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Right. Um, so, but, but there are plenty of times when it, it is a little hazy. Usually it's not because they haven't thought about it. Usually it's because the person who has been tasked with finding someone like me doesn't know the answers because they're not high enough up in the organization to have them. So in, a, in other words, the strategy has not been shared with that person. It's just get us an expert at whatever, or get us Stark. We know we need mobile web strategy. So, uh, in, in a case like this, so there's a couple of options. If the person is high enough in the organization to, to make decisions about what the answers to those questions are, you can usually get to them pretty quickly within an hour. So I, 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 almost always my sales calls uh, will be an hour long and occasionally I'll have a couple of email follow-ups with the contact while I'm putting the proposal together in case I missed something or I can't read my notes or something, you know, some, every once in a while I have to, I have to clarify something, but it's usually just an hour. If the person is too far down the organization to answer the questions, uh, I, I've usually solved that problem by responding to their initial outreach, which is almost always an email with some questions that only the appropriate level person could answer. So I'll say, you know, oh, yeah. these are the kinds of questions I'm going to ask. If you don't think you have the answers to them, could you please include whoever might? Hmm. I won't be able to give you a proposal unless I can get these questions answered. That's great. I just want I just want to call attention to that right now because I feel like so many people end up scheduling that meeting with a, that further down person or a gate keeper or a marketing assistant or a, a, just an assistant in general, an administrative person, office manager, and then they end up on the phone with them and they're trying to ask questions about the purpose of the website or the purpose of the the app or whatever. And, and this person is just like, oh, I'm just collecting proposals. Just let me know what it would cost. <laughs> no, I, I have to talk to that person. So that's an interesting right. thing from from the get-go of kind of establishing that this is, this is going to be a deeper conversation than just, hi, how are you? Mm-hmm. Yep. So what brought you to this abandoning of hourly billing? Were you always in this mindset or was there ever a time that you were doing time and materials billing, which I think is pretty common in our industry and probably many other professional services industries? Right. I, I think like most people, I never questioned the concept. It was just when you went solo, that's what you did. So uh, when I, I was in-house doing software development work back in say 2002, I got fed up with that job and I looked around for consulting firms who hired people like me with that skill set, and uh, went to one of the, the premier 
boutique agencies in the space. I just got lucky and went down there. And within a couple of years, had worked my way up to the vice president. I was managing the dev teams. I was doing sales calls for new projects. And my, my whole life turned into hours, 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 hours. I was building systems to track hours more easily. I was <laughs> whipping developers to get their hours in by the deadline or, you know, or else. Uh, I was fielding phone calls from irate clients where we had gone over an estimate and they were, they were debating hours entries with me like, oh, the database import took twice as long this week. We're not paying it. And I was, it was just endlessly hours, 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 making sure invoices went out on time because I also had to do payroll, you know, make sure payroll went, it's just, it was a nightmare. But it just seemed, I didn't question it though. It was just, that's just how you do it, right? So there came a point when I, I recognized that our best developer was costing us money and our most junior developer who we paid half literally half salary of the best developer was making us way more money because the 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 excellent developer was fast and done and the junior developer was slow but he was great with customers he made them feel very comfortable he never talked down to them and they were perfectly happy so you know he was able you know we were able to give reasonably accurate estimates you know if we put this the junior guy on it, it's going to take a long time but you know that's that's the way it's going to be and i was like <laughs> i could not rectify that in my mind i was obsessed with it for weeks and it it took me that long to suddenly you know, for the light bulb to finally go on it was like the heavens opened and i was like oh the problem is hourly billing if we were giving prices for this stuff our best guy would be printing money for us. And that was, and so I said, I went to the, the boss, you know, I'm friend, I was friends with him then we're still friends. And I said, look, what do you think about switching over to, uh, you know, pricing projects, like giving an actual price. And he was like, I understand what you're saying, but I can't, <laughs> can't get my head around how we'd make that transition. And I was, I couldn't go back to our, I was like done with it. I, I, once I had that sort of epiphany, I was down the rabbit hole of, of okay, how do you, how do you not bill hourly? What do you, how do you even do that? And found some resources. And I said, you know, the, the boss to his credit, he probably, it probably would have been insane for us to try and make that switch without any kind of guidance because there's just too much riding on it, too easy to screw it up. Uh, but I mean, it's a, I, it's a business model shift at, a pretty big level to say we're going to this type of billing to a different type of billing and if I mean yep. fixed price from time and materials. Uh, but I think to your point, it's maybe the right thing to do or at least for that company it was. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's like swapping out the foundation on your house there. It changes <laughs> everything. It changes everything. Which I don't know but how many I, houses get the uh, foundation. So I don't, don't they usually just scrape the house? <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I don't even know if that's possible. It do, it touches everything though, because you've got systems in place, you've got customer expectations, you've got developer expectations, you might have a bonus structure, you've got policies, you've got invoicing. Everything is organized around this arbitrary measure of output. You know, it, it'd be like if your entire business, you know, if you did web design and you charge people by the pixel. Or if you own a sandwich shop and somebody's like, hey, how much, how much for a pulled pork sandwich? And you said 60 bucks an hour. 
It, it, it was, it would, you have to change everything. Nothing, nothing gets untouched. So I said, all right, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to put my money where my mouth is. So I left that place and I hung up my own shingle and I, I don't think I ever build hourly again after that. So, so just, just so I'm clear, this, did, did you switch the billing uh, model with the agency or were you just like, I can't deal with this. I have to go out on my own. No, we didn't switch it. We did not switch it. They stayed hourly and I went out solo and did value price projects after that. How was the experience? I mean, you have this kind of awakening. Uh, I mean, going from uh, a leadership role in the company where you're just dealing with hours all the time. And I can, just you describing that kind of made me get a little bit uncomfortable. <laughs> and I know a lot of agency owners out there, I think, struggle with this. I remember when we were uh, running our agency and we were constantly pushing our team to track their time. And it was, I mean, I, I can just remember one of our, our, our lead developers who eventually became the, the CTO of YouGurus. I mean, he probably wanted to like reach across the table and punch me in the face so many times because I was, I was trying to run the business and when they didn't track their time, we couldn't bill for it and we couldn't bill for it. We didn't get money and it affected cash flow. It affected ev- everything. Like I wouldn't get paid for a month because they didn't track their time. Uh, but the, the, you know, we did do a lot of fixed price projects, um, as well. So like, how was that transition for you going from, from, from being under this weight of hours, hours, hours to, was it, was it just like free? Were you running through the fields and, and and like (laughs) arms out? I, it's funny. To be honest, I didn't really mind tracking my hours. I had a little system down for it where I'd put it right in, in my iCal calendar. I had all the keyboard commands down. It didn't really bother me that much to do it as, as a billable person. As a, as a manager or as an entrepreneur, it drove me crazy for all the reasons you just outlined. Everything you just said, I, the same thing happened to me. Didn't get paid for a month because invoices didn't go out because people didn't log their hours. Same exact thing. And I'm sure a lot of people have had a similar uh, experience. But when I went solo, since I was starting from scratch, I didn't have any internal systems built up for it. I didn't have any client expectations because I was getting uh, all new clients uh, we agreed to, for me to take one of the one of my main clients from the firm, and we split the money for my my kind of jumping off point. Uh, and I gave them a fixed bid for almost a year's worth of work. And it was, I mean, I doubled my income overnight. It was, and I, I reduced my uh, the complexity and the, the administrative red tape of my business because it was like I didn't have to log hours and then send invoices after the fact. I just feel like it's going to cost two hundred thousand dollars. Send the check here. We'll get started on Monday. And I barely invoice anybody ever now. I, I, I can't remember the last time I created an invoice. I've, I've maybe made five invoices in 10 years. Do you continue to track your time in order to understand whether your time is profitable or not? Or how do you no, figure that no. out? It's just, it, it is what it is. That's what your P&L is for. Okay. Your, 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 the time clock is not where you track profitability. Because the, the decisions that people make, because that is the pushback I get from from agencies. Like, well, I've got all these employees. I'm paying them by the hour. How do I know if I'm profitable? It's like, well, check your P&L. <laughs> you know, it, it's not about, because they, they, but they're thinking of it probably in terms of like, well, I want to know at a granular level which employees are making me the most money and which clients are making me the most money. And if there are any projects that I'm engaged in or types of projects that are less profitable, you know all those things. You know who you want to work with. 
you know which employees are the ones that you like the best or the ones that do the best work. You know the answers to all those questions. You try forcing everyone to track their hours, which, come on, we know there's a lot of fiction going on with the hours trackers. Like people are, people have their hearts in the right place. But, you know, if you didn't track your hours all week and you go back retroactively and put them in, you're making things up. <laughs> and, you're, and you're probably, to be nice, you're probably putting in less than you really did. Yeah. Yeah. You're pr- or I, I, there is probably some fear, especially if something took longer than maybe you had told your boss or told your client that you might in the heat of the moment go, well, I don't want them to think that I actually, you know, I told them this was going to take 10 hours and it took me 64. <laughs> I don't, I don't want to tell them that I blew my week on this because I kind of BSed my way into this project or whatever. Um, or, or maybe a developer has to do more research than they thought, or maybe they were, I mean, our, our team would chronically under underestimate. I think, I mean, there's science behind that, that humans are just terrible estimators. And, and that was kind of like where I was headed was, you know, how do you know that your, your fixed price quotes are the right ones if you aren't, I mean, I, I get what you're saying about the P&L, but at a, maybe a company that is a bigger agency that's not just working on maybe one or two projects at a time. I feel like you probably have a really good grip on this is the project I'm working on and this is profitable or not. But if you're an agency and you have 50 projects that go through your business in a quarter, it gets a little bit muddier if you're mis, if you're misestimating. Yes, but you're imagining that the profit margins are razor thin. Mm. Because so, that's kind of more profit margins and the hourly side of the equation are probably going to be much more, they're going to be thinner and more uniform. Right. So I've got a couple of students who run agencies that are made up of a combination of W-2 employees and con- you know long-term contractors and that sort of thing. And for the, for the work that they do bill out hourly, because not all of them have completely transitioned over, but uh, on ones that are, are billed out hourly, the markup on somebody's hours is not that high. I mean, it's like maybe maybe a 50% markup on the hourly rate and you know, paying an offshore team 20 bucks an hour and you're making 40 bucks an hour off them. That's like $20 an hour. That's, ugh, it's so small. I mean, if you're, if you're worried that much about your profit margins, you are drastically underpricing the projects. I, I continued tracking my hours for a little while, but it became so ridiculous after a very short period of time that I just dropped the habit. It doesn't even make sense, you know, because if you imagine, imagine for a second that you, you know, somebody comes in and they, uh, you know, a client comes to you, they say, hey, we want you to do this list of stuff. You know, we want, to, we want you to build us this web app that has this list of features. And you say, oh, and they say, what's your rate? Oh, okay, it's $150 an hour and $75 an hour for project management, blah, blah, blah. You make this giant spreadsheet and it has a bunch of numbers on it that are basically all made up. They say, okay, we're putting this up. We put this up for bid. We're waiting for a few back. We're going to look through them. And they make some decision based on that. But if you're the one vendor that comes in there and says, why do you want to even do this? Like, why even do this at all? And make them think about it and, and make, you know, and, and in their defense, make sure that them investing that money in you is going to result in a good outcome for them. Then you're going to differentiate yourself from anybody else that you're competing with because hardly anybody does this. 
And you're going to be talking with people who are farther up the food chain if you're not already talking to somebody that's that high up. And if you're talking to the right people, they will recognize the difference between paying someone a fixed amount of money for a project and and agreeing to a huge investment that is estimated. So a variable type of number. It's like a, you know, what is it? A reverse mortgage, a balloon mortgage mm-hmm. that starts floating. Everyone knows that's nuts. The only reason you would do that <laughs> is for short-term cash flow reasons. It's a silly financial decision to make. So, I, okay, I take that back. There are reasons to do it, but you get the idea. So if you, if you imagine that, you know, you, if you're going to estimate it hourly, in fact, let's, let's go through this. This is one of the ways that I teach people to start to do this, just to get a feel for it. I'll say, you've got this new client. They come in, they want this web app with these features. Okay, great. Have a conversation about why you know, they want it done and all that. Just do, do things relatively normal. Write up your estimate like you normally would and say, it'll be $10,000 for, for the task that you ask me to do to be completed. But that's an estimate we estimate that it would be $10,000 at our hourly rate of $100 an hour, something like that. Then just simply add an additional option on the proposal. You can say, or you can pay us $18,500, so an 85% markup, flat fee, and we will achieve the outcome that you want from this project. And, they, you know, and, I, and I specifically want that number to be 85%. Because if you just set it at like a 20% premium, you're going to get killed by scope creep. And if you put it higher than 85%, say, you know, 100% more, 150% more, it means your estimate's too low because you don't trust that it's right enough to take the risk at that premium, at an 85% premium. And dear listener, you will be shocked if you do this, a large portion of people that you present estimates like that will or at you know sort of a mixed estimate slash quote to people lots of people will pick the fixed number because they can't stand the feeling of being billed by the hour it's horrible you know like the (laughs) the risk of having to go back to your boss and saying yeah we blew the budget we need more money it's a big risk for them to take on and they have very little control over it which is why they turn into micromanaging monsters if you blow the budget but if you give them a fixed price that you'll stick to that has this 85 percent sort of call it a slush amount, you know, you're, you're basically, they're paying an insurance premium that will go to you if you were good at defining the scope, managing the scope, you know, all the things that you're supposedly good at. If you're good at that, that's pure profit for you. You're not going to be worrying about counting hours or anything like that. But if you're terrible at doing it, it's going to be a little bit scary and you should maybe get better at doing your estimates. But if you do it like this, there's a financial incentive for you to get better at your estimates, get better at defining the scope early on, defining the goals early on. And then all of that money, you, you, the profits start to get ridiculous once you start to get good at it. That's really cool. I uh, We're in the middle of a, a large creative project for you gurus with an agency right now. And and parts of the project were fixed uh, bid and, and other parts were a block of hours. And every other week we get an email of how many hours we have left. And I feel like that email is always somebody kind of reaching through the, the, the monitor and kind of punching me in the face. Um, so I can definitely <laughs> relate with, oh my God, are we going to get this all done under the budget we have? And I, I probably would have paid more for a 
fixed bid based on the deliverables. Um, and and I, I think we, when I was running my agency, 85% of our revenue was, was our project revenue was fixed bid and then small follow on projects were, were hourly. So I definitely can, um, can relate with this. Mm. Yep. Anybody who has paid for something by the hour can probably relate to this. I remember a nightmare story where I hired someone to redesign my website and it was just a disaster. They're like, you know, one week they put in 80 hours and the result was horrible, you know? And I was like, you just get taken to the clean. It's easy to get taken to taken to the cleaners. It's, it's terrible. It's horrible. It's bad for everyone. And you're hurting your own profits, which is the, the, I think the, the main takeaway because there's only so many hours per year, right? So you either have to keep on hiring more bodies to increase your profits or, you know, dramatically jack up your rates. Like, where do you go? You, you top out very quickly at, a, at the hourly ceiling. I call it, you know, there's just, you just multiply the number of bodies by the number of hours in the year. And all of your business is focused on optimizing the billability of them, which is insane. If you realize that there's another option, which is to just give clients a price and adjust your resources accordingly. I feel like it's so simple. I love it. I've got a couple of lightning round questions for you, Jonathan. Uh, I feel like I've gotten, um, I, I could go probably a lot longer on the pricing discussion. I feel like most <laughs> folks, and, and we'll get to where people can hear uh, more about uh, your book and some of your other content on pricing. If you guys were really into that, I'm sure we can get you guys um, headed in that direction. But real quick, before we get to that, uh, Jonathan, what is the best advice you've ever received? Do what you love and the money will follow. Thanks, Dad. <laughs> love it. That's great. Which of your personal habits has contributed most to your success? I get obsessed with things very easily. I like how that's that's contributed to your success. Not, not <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel like that's the conversation I've been having with my, my wife recently is I think I get too into things and then I, I kind of go all in and she's like, can you just kind of kind of get into things a little bit here and there? But uh, I feel yeah, you on that I, one. I know when I'm passionate about something, I know it, it grabs me. I, I work with a lot of people who, you know, I'll ask them that question. What are you passionate about? They're like, I don't know, coding. I'm like, no. <laughs> <laughs> Wrong answer. Wrong answer. Uh, can you share an internet resource or tool that you use that you think our listeners would uh, enjoy? Well, I'm a big fan of Zoom actually lately, which is something we're using right now. Um, man, it's almost too many to pick from. Internet resource. Zoom's a good one. I, I feel yeah. like that changed Zoom. the uh, the video conferencing game for a lot of people out there. Yeah. What book would you recommend and why? Uh, for pricing, I definitely would say Value-Based Fees by Alan Weiss. It's the Bible for this sort of thing. Uh, it's, folk, it's, it's, he, it's focused on management consulting. So if you're not in that field, it might be a little tough to kind of translate to your world. Uh, but yeah, it's kind of where, you know, that's how where I help people is kind of translate into our kind of modern world because this book's from the 80s. Uh, but it's an excellent book just to forgetting your head around uh, value-based fees. Uh, and just on a fun note, I've been reading the expanse series. So if you're into sci-fi, this is one of the best sci-fi books I've, I've read since as long as like, maybe since like neuromancer or something, it's like amazing, amazing books. Very nice. That's a, uh, 
I tend to to lean more towards nonfiction, but I try to get a couple of fiction books in a year. So maybe that'll uh, end up on my list. It's great. How can our audience find out more about you? And is there anything that you have that uh, they can check out? Sure. Best place to go. Well, actually, I'll, I'll have a page up by the time this goes live. You can go to expensiveproblem.com slash gurus. And I'll have a, a bunch of free additional materials for anybody who wants to take a deep dive, go down the rabbit hole on value-based pricing. Or there's actually a few other ways to ditch hourly billing. Value-based pricing is really uh, how I do projects, but there are other kinds of things you can do to get away from the cancer of hourly billing. I love that domain name, Expensive Problem. Mm. <laughs> That's, That's what you got to look for. Look for the expensive problems. Yeah, yeah. Don't don't just look for the uh, the pizza shop that that wants a website because they're embarrassed to find uh, find the ones that that are really worth something. When I was younger, I looked for interesting problems. Now I look for expensive problems. That is a good. That's a good, uh, that should be like on a bumper sticker or a t-shirt or <laughs> uh, maybe the title of a talk. I don't know. <laughs> there you go. Jonathan, thank you so much for stopping by the Digital Agency Show today. I uh, I learned a lot about uh, getting away from hourly. I wish I would have found your uh, book in mindset on this back in the day. I find that uh, I'm sure a lot of agency folks and freelancers that are listening right now that are under this hourly billing model are going to feel um, like a, a little bit misaligned aligned after they just listened to what you had to share. So thanks for for giving us that. My pleasure. All right, guys, that's it for this week of the Digital Agency Show. Until next week, I'm Brent Weaver.